Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Well, I get to continue the series on You Have Heard It Said, and so this series is going through the six things Jesus um, referred to in the Sermon on the Mount in which he would say, You have heard it said... And, and then, but I say unto you, so what was the one we covered last week here? Do you remember? Oaths. Oaths. So you've heard it said, uh, you know, don't make an oath. I can't remember. But I say to you, let your yes be yes. And there you go. You've heard it said, do not murder. But I say unto you, don't hate your brother. And so uh, Jesus was going through explaining what kingdom righteousness uh, meant and uh, touching on key issues that were significant in his time. And you know what's amazing? You know, it was 2,000 years ago. A lot's changed in 2,000 years, hasn't it? How many rode their donkey to church this morning? <laughs> right. No, we got nice cars, and we, so we can ride in comfort, even though it's pouring rain. We're nice and dry and warm. Uh, and so uh, we're meeting in a building. We're not burning oil lamps or candles. We have electric lights, and so that's fantastic. So our technology has changed, some of the other things have changed, but the real issues of life never change. You know, issues like hatred and keeping your word and these other main things, they stay the same because people are people, regardless whether they live in Japan or live in Vandalia or live uh, in Jesus' day or live in our day. So today I get the joy of speaking about the issue of divorce because it was one of the things Jesus brought up and this little cartoon I don't know if you can make it out the picture's kind of small but it's a pastor talking to his wife about what he's going to be preaching uh, and so he said I'm preaching on abortion tomorrow and next Sunday on homosexual marriage you know because you know, I like to preach on things and get fiery but there's a there's a um, there's an elephant in the room called divorce and remarriage a lot of churches, we just kind of avoid that issue because it's, you know, how do you talk about it? And the reality is, is that divorce is huge in our culture, unfortunately. Approximately half of people that get married today, their marriage will end in divorce. And in the church, depending on how you look at the statistics, it's actually a little higher. Um, and the reason for that, and I just like to explain that, is um, more people in the church get married, where people in the world just don't get married. And so they don't get divorced, they just separate. Uh, my sister, who is not a churchgoer, she said her marriage ended in a horrible divorce, and she was like, I'll never, divorce, I'll never marry again, that was horrible. And she's still suffering from it. And, and so they just avoid marriage. <clears throat> and another thing I like to point out is that Statistics are kind of funny, uh, depending on how they count the numbers, but I've read when people uh, dig a little deeper and count the number of uh, couples who are actively involved in their church and actively seeking God and, and, and doing their best to live a godly life, uh, and, and actively being involved in a local church is the best indicator that someone is uh, a Christ follower in in a real in a very real tangible way because it demonstrates 
they're committed to the things that uh, Christ instructed us to do, to worship together, to learn from God's word, and to have a community, to live in community. And so <clears throat> they've studied that people, both the husband and the wife, are active in a faith community and active seeking God. The percentage of divorce is much, much lower. In fact, if I remember correctly, it's more around 15%. And so the reality is uh, divorce within people truly seeking and living, trying to live a life after Jesus is much, much, much lower. But even then, there, there is still divorce. And so this is an issue in our culture. It's an issue in our church. And let me tell you, it's an issue that I have dealt with, and I'm very, very, very familiar with it. My parents, when I was a very early teen, preteen, just around the time, uh, uh, I was becoming a teenager, divorced, and it, it destroyed our family. Uh, it, it literally just threw us all in a, a mess. And I remember my mom, years later, uh, although she remarried and was faithful to her new husband, and they actually were married longer than she had been to my father, but uh, me and my uh, four siblings, all of our lives were, were really just completely messed up by the divorce. And uh, my mother regretted that to the day she died. She re recognized it. She ruined it, the, uh, the whole family. And so I'm familiar with it from that perspective and living through it. All of my aunts and uncles on both my mother and my father's side, which they had multiple uh, siblings. They had a lot of uncles, a lot of aunts. Um, every one of them. So that whole generation, <clears throat> all divorced. Okay? So my, my grandparents didn't divorce, but my, my, ma, my father's uh, mother died when I was very, very young, and then he, he'd never remarried. He just lived with a woman. <laughs> he was kind of interesting character. <laughs> and my mom's parents didn't divorce, but they hated each other, okay? It probably would have been better. It was pretty bad. Um, all of my siblings... And not just divorce, basically. My aunts and uncles got divorced and remarried multiple times. All of my siblings got divorced at least once, except for one, because he just didn't get married until just a couple of years ago in his mid-50s. <laughs> he waited it out. And, uh, and so, again, I'm very, very familiar. And then as a pastor, I've walked through so many people's uh, situations where they've suffered uh, divorce or had been divorced or going through divorce or contemplating divorce. So I've really delved down to the depths of this issue in a moral sense as well as a theological sense, a practical sense. There's a lot of practical things that people have to navigate through this legally as well as emotionally, and that's a big part of the uh, issue. <clears throat> what I'm about to share on divorce may be a little different than what you've heard Bible teachings or pastors uh, teaching about divorce or maybe what you think the Bible teaches about divorce. And I just ask that you'd hear me out, um, just like Jesus was kind of shocking when he said some of the things he said. Uh, I may bring out some aspects that you have not heard. Uh, and my goal is to present what I believe is what the Bible teaches in a balanced way. But you know, as always, I don't expect you to agree with everything I say, and it's okay to disagree. We may be wrong, I may be wrong, and uh, let's be Bereans and seek the scriptures, whether these things are so. <clears throat> all right, so let's go to the verse in the Sermon on the Mount where this all gets started. Jesus said, you have heard it said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give a certificate of divorce. 
But I say to you, whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Well, that just seems pretty straightforward and easy and simple. Uh, black and white, almost, you could say. But Jesus is not giving a complete teaching on the theology and the morals, the ethics of divorce and remarriage. He's actually addressing a very specific issue, the theological debate uh, uh, that was termed any cause uh, divorce that was rampant in his day as it is in our day. And I'm going to explain that as we go through this sermon. <clears throat> He's directing them to the true meaning of the law, and the purpose of a marriage, which was to protect women, especially in ancient days, much more so than our day. A woman who was divorced was forced into a life of poverty and often ended up in uh, the sex trade industry because that was the only way. And so it was a very, very destructive. And so the law was intended to protect both women and to protect marriage, the, uh, the law about uh, uh, giving a certificate of divorce. And so Jesus is challenging them that kingdom righteousness must end legal maneuvering as a way to justify divorce. Because that was really the issue that was um, being debated in Jesus' day, and he was addressing this. And the Sermon on the Mount, I'm sure Jesus, uh, obviously he spoke sermons on the Mount. I was on the Sermon on the Mount. I was on the Mount. that they say Jesus stood on that preached the sermon. There's like a little uh, park there now. And so it's a place in Israel you can go visit. Uh, But basically, Jesus would often preach on the sides of mountains and hills because that's where people would gather. And so uh, there's no question that Jesus did do a Sermon on the Mount, but most scholars believe that the Sermon on the Mount, as recorded in Matthew 5, is a compilation of Jesus' primary sermons uh, because these are things that he taught throughout his three years of active ministry. <clears throat> and so this is like they compiled it into one sermon, all the different topics and like the essence. But in Matthew 19, we actually get the same issue uh, talked about in a much uh, greater depth. You hear some interchange between the Pharisees and Jesus. So the Pharisees came to Jesus... This is Matthew 19, 3 through 10. And tested him, asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Wow, that's an interesting question, a little different than what Jesus has commented on. Uh, and he said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Let not man separate. And he continues. Or it continues. And they said to him, yeah, but Jesus, why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? It's like, wait a minute, Jesus. And that's what Jesus is addressing in the Sermon on the Mount. It says, you've heard it said, give a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, don't, don't, don't get divorced. And he said, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce. 
Um, but it, from the beginning, it was not so. In other words, that's not the intent. That was not God's intention for marriage. We were created to live in covenant relationship for our whole lives. But because of hardness and of heart, uh, God uh, uh, and Moses in the law made this exception because of the reality that people have issues and sometimes it doesn't work out. And if that happened, there was a proper way to do it. And I say to you, whoever, and then it picks up, <clears throat> he, said, he said, that wasn't the intention. That's not the way it's supposed to be. And then he goes on, and this is almost verbatim for what is recorded in Matthew 5. He, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual morality and marries another commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. All right. So let's just take a minute before we just read through this and move on and, and think that what Jesus was saying made such an impact on his hearers that those who heard him were like, what? Well, forget it then. I'm not even going to marry. And so it was, a, it was a very strong challenge to the status quo, the thinking of their day about marriage and divorce. He was confronting them, saying, wait a minute, we've got to reconsider this whole thing. And so, <clears throat> um, and when, they, when he said that term, uh, uh, is it lawful to divorce anyone, uh, a wife for any cause? Well, that phrase wasn't just, you know, innocent words. That was the term that was being used in Jesus' day, and actually for a little over 100 years previous to Jesus, that had become the standard teaching that uh, any cause divorce, like no fault divorce, was acceptable. Uh, and I'm going to explain how they, they kind of saw that in the law. Because they were referring to a specific passage in the law in Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. So let's just read it and I'll try to unpack this for you. Um, so this is the law. Moses is, is teaching, uh, writing this. When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out from his house, and she leaves his house and goes and becomes another man's wife. We have a couple of things here. So in the Hebrew... <clears throat> There was two words used, the word that was translated some, and the word that is translated in English, indecency. And the Jews that were studying this, Pharisees, were like, you know what? That word some isn't really necessary. Why did he put the word some in there? Because it, it could be translated if he finds anything or any indecency. And so they, they interpreted it as Two conditions. Some, meaning anything that he isn't, doesn't favor. And indecency, which everyone agreed and knew meant sexual immorality. So they, instead of understanding it as the way it was written, specifically talking about uh, the condition of sexual immorality, they said, well, if there's any reason, and of course if there's indecency, then those are grounds. And if that happens, do it in a way that protects the woman by giving her a certificate of divorce so that she can go out and become another man's wife. All right? In other words, if it's done correctly, remarriage is legitimate, even under the law. All right? 
Jesus was confronting that error. So in both Matthew 5 and Matthew 19, Jesus is addressing the specific area, error that had become accepted in the culture, in the teaching of the Jewish uh, church, uh, Jewish religion, that any cause was acceptable uh, for divorce as immorality. So those wrongful divorces in Jesus' day resulted in adultery because the, the, the marriage was still intact. They were living under Jewish law. And so the Jews living under Jewish law, if they did a divorce that was not a legitimate divorce, were still married and would go out and, and, and live with somebody else. And that's where the adultery aspect comes in. Because he's saying, no, that wasn't a legitimate reason for a divorce. You divorced them. You twisted the law to accommodate your own uh, hardened heart and, and then it forced the person into a situation where they uh, ended up committing adultery. So that's why it was so shocking because they were like, this was a complete new teaching that Jesus was saying, no, divorce uh, is, uh, is, is destructive and is to be avoided if at all possible. All right, so <clears throat> uh, that's... Uh, kind of unpacking what Jesus meant. So I want to give basically a very quick overview of uh, divorce and remarriage in the Bible in about 15 minutes. Are you ready for this? <laughs> Let's see if I can do it. Mark, do you think I can do it? You can do it. You do things. Mark has a lot of faith. I had 20 minutes last night, but I'm kind of been uh, meandering this morning. So uh, what does the Bible teach? Listen, divorce in and of itself is not a sin. And this is where, uh, you know, evangelical, conservative Christians, we can just kind of assume it's a sin. Uh, but it's not. It doesn't say it's a sin anywhere in the Bible, all right, in and of itself. I explain to people that divorce in and of itself is not a sin, uh, but it's always the result of some sin. But you know what? We're all sinners, all right? And so maybe you haven't had a sin in your life or sin in your marriage that led to that. A horrible consequence of divorce, but we've all sinned. And so, uh, divorce in and of itself, though, there's nowhere in Scripture. Even Jesus, in the passage we're discussing, doesn't say divorce is a sin. It says it can lead to, if it's done inappropriately, it can lead to this uh, adultery. If uh, 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 and so, there's a separation there. And then, if it if um, you know, this is a moral issue, like some people see it. Um, is there any other moral law that God gives an exception to? No. All right. Uh, you know, if, there, if there's exceptions, and even Jesus says there's an exception, that you know what? If, in the case of adultery, uh, divorce is uh, an allowable course. Uh, now keep in mind, even in, in the case where there's infidelity in marriage, it's not required, all right? But it is, it is an allowable divorce. Uh, in fact, <clears throat> this may be a little uncomfortable to hear, but uh, uh, those who study this, the conservative estimate of marriages who suffer, that suffer infidelity is 50%. Conservative. Okay, and people who work in marriage counseling and work with uh, people uh, probably think it's even higher, all right? And so there's a lot of people that have suffered infidelity and worked through it and stayed married. 
And there's a lot of people that you may uh, know have been divorced and you don't think they have a legitimate reason, but it's just too painful for them to share that there was infidelity. Okay? So never judge anyone because you don't know the whole story. I guarantee it. Uh, all right, so divorce is an unfortunate but at times allowable course of action in some cases. Now, in Malachi 2.6, let's listen to the heart of God concerning this issue. God says in Malachi, I hate divorce. Can that be any more strong? He doesn't say I hate divorced people, but he hates divorce. And he goes on and ties it to violence. He says, and I hate a man covering himself with violence as well as with his garments, uh, says the Lord Almighty. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith. Um, God hates it, but he doesn't ban it. And divorce rips apart or in a sense murders that new person created when the two became one. So when Mark and Amber married, they made a covenant relationship. And the Bible says there's, that, that became, they became one. So there's like a, a third person, a new person. But divorce rips the two apart and in essence murders that new person that was created in the marriage bond. And that's why it's an act of violence and that's why it's so painful. Uh, even when it's justifiable or even when it's unavoidable, it's still extremely painful. I know someone that uh, <clears throat> lost uh, two children uh, due to terrible incidences, one a car accident, one a drowning. And, and um, later, uh, years later, and there were other issues involved, but ended up uh, going through a divorce. And she actually says the divorce was more painful. And, you know, I, I can't argue with her that she says it. She, she's made that very clear. But I know that the pain that my parents suffered and so many others have suffered. And so it is an act of violence. And that's why uh, God says, <clears throat> even when it's justified, it's a violent act. And we need to guard our spirits. We need to take heed of our spirit because our relationship with our spouse has tremendous effect on our spirit and and divorce harms the spirit and in a culture where divorce is rampant people don't understand the damage that they're doing to their spiritual being it's not un, unhealable you know there's there's hope uh, always there's hope for god to bring restoration and healing and he does and i've seen many people recover and go on and and live fruitful christian lives um, but it is something that is dear to the heart of God because marriage is dear to the heart of God, and we want to value it. So there's a few uh, exceptions to um, that the Bible says are allowable, or in other words, it, it, that are cases in which divorce is even, according to the law, acceptable. Adultery, of course, is the most clear, and that's what Jesus uses the example to contrast the no-fault divorce that he was um, clarifying uh, when the Pharisees asked him. And then <clears throat> other New Testament passages that talk about other instances where divorce is uh, uh, allowable may not mention infidelity or sexual immorality, but it's always assumed. Nobody argued that that was a, a, a situation in which divorce would be uh, allowable. Uh, but keep in mind, uh, the law required death 
not divorce, for sexual immorality, for adultery, stoning, right? Um, but Roman law, which Jesus was living under, and the, the Jews were living under at the time of Jesus, did not allow capital punishment for um, infidelity. And so they weren't allowed to practice that part of the law. And so that's kind of like another thing just to include in the idea that, you know, if you want to really interpret Scripture, uh, then it would be uh, stone them, you know. But we don't live under that. And even Jesus recognized that. All right, Jesus was also not forbidding remarriage. Um, uh, And let's just look at some other examples where Jesus actually dealt with people that had been divorced. Jesus addressing the woman caught in adultery. Uh, Did he talk to her about remarriage? Oh, this means you can never marry again. No, he simply forgave her, you know, and set her back on the right course. Or how about the woman? This is a better example. In John 4, who had five husbands. Remember? She was a woman at the well, asked for water, and she was like, I perceive you're a holy man. He goes, well, you've had five husbands, and the one you're living with now is not your husband. So she had five, been divorced five times, and then she was living with a guy. Um, did he shame her about that? Did he command her to live single? No, he taught her about worship. He taught her how to have a, a, a meaningful relationship with God so that she could access life the life that she needed that she obviously lacked because her personal life had been so broken through all of those broken relationships. So Jesus pastorally addressed her deeper need, okay, and didn't even talk about the other thing. And here's another verse. This is really the key verse to understanding the whole theology. Um, But it's a verse that's neglected in the church. All right, so I'm going to read it, and then I'll tell you why. Most pastors, and you'll probably never hear a sermon on this verse unless it's me. Because <laughs> I don't, I'll just talk about anything. All right. <laughs> but this is really important in understanding biblical theology of, of marriage. Exodus 21, uh, so this is part of the law. It says, if he marries, speaking of a man, if he marries another woman, he must not deprive the first one of her food, clothing, and marital rights. Three things that were required by God in the law to fulfill the marriage covenant. If he does not provide her with these three things, she is to go free without any payment of money. In other words, she was free to remarry. All right. And she wasn't obligated to pay a, a price to gain her freedom. So the reason this is skipped over by most preachers is that there's two really uncomfortable ideas in this. One, it's talking about polygamy. All right? If he's married and he goes and marries another woman, he can't deprive his first wife just because he finds a new wife, you know, and is bored with the old wife. <laughs> All right? And in the church, we go, oh, how do we deal with polygamy? You know? It's a little uncomfortable. I was just in Mexico with some missionaries, and they do a lot of work in Africa. And actually, we were out. Were you there? Okay. We were out uh, for dinner. What what do you talk about with missionaries when you're out for dinner? Well, they were talking about this marriage conference they did in Africa, where almost everybody in the room were polygamists. Because in Africa, it's really common. The Muslim religion allows polygamy in almost all tribal religions. And he, they were like going, oh, man, it was so crazy. 
because the questions you have to answer and how you navigate that, it's really, really difficult, okay? And so we just don't want to deal with this. <clears throat> One thing about polygamy is that the Bible actually never endorses it. It allows it because it was the cultural norm uh, in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, there's certain verses that uh, address it. Um, and the influence of Christianity in every culture where Christianity has gained a stronghold has led to the ending of the practice of polygamy and the restoration of God's original intent that uh, one man, one woman marriage as we saw in Adam and Eve. And so, <clears throat> so because this talks about polygamy, it's a little hard to tie in and, and, a, lot of, and a lot of pastors just skip over it. And then this whole thing with money as a way to get free. But that was, again, that was a common practice in the Old Covenant that to, in order to get out of a, a, a contractual covenant bound that there would be money. But this verse is saying, listen, because the man is not providing what was uh, required in the marriage covenant, she's actually free. And by the word free, that means free to remarry because uh, women in that culture needed to be married or else they would be... Um, uh, they would be uh, uh, locked in the life of poverty. So these conditions for divorce were accepted in Jewish culture and accepted in Jesus' day, and Jesus doesn't even talk about these because no one was arguing about them. All right? Everyone would have said, of course, if, if they violate these conditions, there, there's the legitimacy of remarriage. And then uh, these three rights, food, clothing, and sex, or fulfillment, nourishment, we kind of change the words, nourishment, protection, and fulfillment. That's the basis for marriage vows, even to this day. For thousands of years, that's the basis. You're committing to love, to protect, and to provide. All right, for your spouse. All right, and so the violation of that covenant means that even in the law, the person is free to remarry, and that applies both to husband and wife. <clears throat> so these three categories in Scripture are allowable. Again, I'll talk about it in the next screen, but uh, they're allowable because they're violations. Uh, of the covenant, and that is immorality, or sexual immorality particularly, is mentioned both in Deuteronomy as well as in Matthew, so in both Old and New Testament. Emotional and physical neglect, that's not providing the food and protection that's intended, uh, and so that's mentioned in both the Old Testament law in Exodus as well as in 1 Corinthians 7, which we're going to read next, and in abandonment or abuse. Uh, so in Exodus, as well as in the New Testament and 1 Corinthians, those are legitimate uh, reasons where some may be forced to consider divorce. <clears throat> okay, let's look at this verse in 1 Corinthians, uh, because here Paul is addressing it, and I actually love this verse because it's so real. It says, to the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. So Paul's saying, man, this is a commandment from God himself. A wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, okay, so here we have a clear command, but also this exception. But if she does. And you know what I love about that? I love it because it's real. You know? And we see that even in the early church, even though they were teaching, don't get divorced, stay married, work through it, put up your house, you know, Breakthrough, belief for breakthrough, belief for restoration. But nevertheless, it does happen. 
She must remain unmarried, and that means they were actually divorced. If they're not married, they're divorced. Or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. So in other words, Paul's saying, you know, the, the ideal, just like Jesus said, the ideal is no divorce. But if that happens, the next ideal is that they get reconciled. But, you know, there wasn't anything that, I mean, he could have said, but, it, but if that doesn't happen, because we know that that also doesn't happen. All right? Are you seeing the, the, the real meaning of what Paul wrote and what the law wrote? And actually, every time divorce is mentioned in the law, in the Old Testament, remarriage is assumed as well as allowed. <clears throat> so there's a clear command of divorce. Paul was aware of all exceptions. He wasn't going into that because that was not the purpose of this passage. Um, uh, but like Jesus, he was setting the bar high. Hey, guys, the righteousness that uh, uh, we preach, the righteousness that we expect, and as a church, I have fought for years to help people save their marriage. Fought. Got personally involved and wept when it didn't work out because of the hardness of heart, this person or that person. One person wouldn't give in or other circumstances they got involved. I've been there, you know, but my ideal is, man, I, I want to I preserve the marriage. But the reality is, sometimes you can't. And that means you don't give up. Uh, <clears throat> you don't condemn. You say, okay, Lord, what now? And so, <clears throat> but if she does, of course, applies it both to men and women. Even in the early church, as it is today, this was a huge issue, Okay. Uh, uh, it was something that they struggled with. But the ideal, the goal, and what we hope for is reconciliation, if it's possible. But sometimes it isn't. And uh, uh, unfortunately, I've been there. But sometimes it is. We had a situation in our Kalamazoo church just a few years ago. They got divorced. Uh, it was a horrible situation. But after how many years? Like five, six years? They ended up, things changed. There was a, there was a repentance and a breakthrough, and I had the honor and privilege of performing their wedding uh, on Easter. <laughs> and what a picture of a restoration that God restored that marriage. Uh, and I've, I've known other people who divorced, and through whatever reason, but uh, through healing, through reconciliation, were able to marry again, not their former spouse, but another spouse, and live for many years in a fruitful, loving marriage that they continued to honor God and honor one another. So <clears throat> um, um, there is exceptions to the um, marriage covenant spelled out in Scripture that gives us um, standards by which we can evaluate. And the other verse is in 7.15 of 1 Corinthians. If an unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such case, but God has called us to peace. So this is the abandonment clause in which, <clears throat> specifically talking about if someone was married to a Christian, but they just leave they're, or they're, they disconnect. Sometimes it's physically. I've actually had this happen a couple of times in my ministry where someone gets married, and within a short time, usually within the first couple of years, one spouse just moves out, you know, and won't move back. You know, what the heck do you do? Um, uh, I've had it happen where they didn't actually physically move out, but they wouldn't talk to each other. 
for years sometimes. And so they emotionally, physically, you know, in every other way, spiritually disconnected. Well, that's what this is talking about. Um, <clears throat> and in those cases, they are not, the man or the woman is not under bondage. The word bondage there is the very same word that's used for the bond of marriage. Okay, it's the covenant. They're not under the covenant. Uh, we're called the peace. So here's another uh, uh, exception with a clear statement that says they're free to remarry. Okay, and uh, so just like it said in the law, when this happens, as unfortunate and as it is, and as much as we struggle to prevent it, uh, it doesn't uh, mean that they're um, bound to never remarry or to live single. Um, if that exception applies to the example in, in, in Corinthians 7, then the exception applies to all of the exceptions in Scripture, that the freedom to remarriage, remarry is part of what God is talking. All right, This doesn't contradict what Jesus clearly stated in the Sermon on the Mount, because Jesus was talking about using the law to justify what was, a, what was an error. Okay? Uh, Jesus was not guiding a wounded person through the uh, difficulty of a broken marriage. He was addressing bad theology. And when he is uh, uh, speaking pastorally, like we saw uh, he, him speaking to the woman at the well or, uh, or the woman caught in adultery, he addresses it completely differently, doesn't he? And so when you're talking to theologians about theology, we want to get the theology right. God does everything he can to protect marriage, and we should too and defend it. Absolutely. But we also need to defend the people caught in harmful marriages or, or failed marriages. And we try to restore them, but sometimes there isn't any way. Uh, like in Jesus' day, <clears throat> uh, as it is in our day, divorce is a, there's this kind of like a free-for-all. Jesus Christ came and died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. And unfortunately, in some church um, communities and some people's minds, divorce has become the unforgivable sin. Or we look at people who have uh, been divorced and we think they can never, they can never amount to anything. But that's not the case, right? Jesus died for our sin. And our sin is just as bad as anybody else's sin. And Jesus on that cross not only took the penalty of our sin and the punishment of our sin, all right, uh, when he was uh, died and then buried and rose again, it, it was a demonstration that he had power over the penalty of sin and the power of sin, right? And so what this means is that if you believe in Jesus and if you believe that he took the penalty of that price, maybe that penalty, maybe that, that was you divorcing for wrong reasons. He paid for that. Or maybe your spouse left you for wrong reasons. He paid for them. And so it, it compels us to step into a place of forgiveness. We need to forgive ourselves. We need to forgive other people. And we need to believe that we can have the power to overcome whatever sin is tempting us to live in a way to break our marriage covenant. There's hope for marriage because Jesus died on the cross. And there's hope for every one of us, regardless of whatever sin that holds us back, because Jesus died on the cross. If you enter into relationship with Jesus by faith, by 
by believing that he died on the cross for your sins, by believing that God raised him from the dead as evidence that he had victory over that sin, and by confessing him as Lord of your life. So let's not uh, yell, sinner, to those who are, have suffered this tremendous uh, experience or suffer the condemnation for the rest of your life because you have. And let's not give in to the culture of divorce because you know what? Because of what Jesus did on the cross, there's hope for every person, every single person. <laughs> there's hope for a fruitful, lasting uh, uh, marriage and fulfillment. And we need to learn to uh, allow the righteousness of Christ to change our hearts and to bring restoration.